there a doctor in the house? Doctor, doctor, give me the news. I got a bad case of loving you. Doctor. 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 And doctor. It's time for Advanced Medicine Monday with Dr. Rashid Batar. I'm a doctor, not a bricklayer. I'm a doctor, not a mechanic. I'm a doctor, not a coal miner. The doctor is in. All right, we want a special acknowledgement for Dr. Rashi Batar here on an uh, advanced medicine episode that happens to fall on Veterans Day. And uh, Dr. Batar, for those of you who don't know, served in the military and uh, did some amazing things. And we acknowledge his service here as a, a military veteran. And I thank you, my friend, for being here and uh, doing your part. Thank you, Robert. I appreciate that. And I think it's important to mention uh, not just the veterans, but there's a lot of active duty soldiers all over the planet. Uh, we have U.S. soldiers and obviously other uh, allied soldiers that are all over the planet right now. So think about them, too, and send them the attention as well. So I yes. appreciate the acknowledgement, but also for the existing soldiers. And you know probably you would share my prayer for the military active duty especially that the DOD would stop experimenting on them with with these vaccinations as a you know uh, a mandatory aspect of their military service. I think that's horrific what they do to our soldiers. But again, that's the the medical industrial complex taking over the military industrial complex. I completely agree with you, Robert. It is a it is a atrocity that our soldiers are being exposed to this and they're already stressed as it is just from the environment of being in a, in a situation of combat, uh, not just, not just um, in a situation of stress that is uh, normally associated with being a soldier, but in addition to being in combat, and then you put additional stressors on them by having them away from their family. Then on top of that, you add the vaccinations. So it's one uh, stacked stressor on top of another stacked stressor. And mm-hmm. these things, as you know, they're not linear. They're compounding. And so it would be greatly beneficial for them not to be you know inoculated for these multiple different vaccines and for things that they'll probably never be exposed to anyway and and we know that it doesn't work you know suppression system etc etc dr batar over the years have you have you taken care of some military veterans with ptsd or other intoxication due to the vaccine schedule there Uh, we have in my clinic taken care of veterans and before i left the service uh, i was in charge of Moncrief Army Community Hospital uh, in charge of the emergency room first and then in charge of the PES station, which was the physical exam station, for about a year and a half as well. And we had a lot of retirees that would come in there. Specifically to say that the PTSD was caused by vaccines, I don't know whether I could make that leap, but to say that uh, as far as taking care of patients that had post-traumatic stress disorder, yes, uh, quite a bit of experience with that. And, um, of course, the vaccine injury aspect. I didn't know that at the time, but mm. all these things, again, they're just additional stressors on these people. And it, it, it's, it's really sad because the, the soldier is the only, it's the only form of employment besides law enforcement. And even law enforcement is not as exposed to violence as is a soldier. And so I, I personally feel that soldiers should be taken care of better than everybody else because 
they're willing to sacrifice their life. Their their life is on the line. Uh, uh, not to take away from law enforcement. I'm not trying to say sure. That no, I, I, what I get what you're saying though in terms of of going into a potential war theater overtly versus occasionally. Yes, there are violent things that cops have to deal with as well. But yeah, the stress is very real. But you combine that with what we say upon entry, they go hey, hey, roll up your sleeve and they hit you with who knows what they're injecting into you. And, you know, there are adverse events that occur. Uh, I've heard reports, and I think you have maybe you mentioned, some people that will just faint, not from the pain of the shot, but, man, suddenly they're influxed with so much that their body just goes out. And so, uh, you know, that they do this, it takes that concept of cannon fodder, not on the battlefield, but before they even get to the battlefield. Yeah, that's a very true statement. And so when we're looking at a physiological response to any type of change in body chemistry, especially when you're doing things, even in, even things that we're doing in the uh, thought process of trying to help a person improve, like the chelation, for example, I'll give you just an, an example, when done incorrectly, mm-hmm. anything done incorrectly can cause a problem. The two-minute IV push, then, when they do that, it's causing too much of a change too quickly in the body. It essentially violates the nurse equation, which the nurse equation is essentially talking about eliciting a change within the physiology that when it's too fast, it can cause a detrimental effect. Even if it's a beneficial uh, outcome for the patient in the long run, to do it too fast will cause this type of a response that you're talking about, whether it's a vasovagal aspect or whether it's a shock to the system. There's many different aspects of the nurse equation basically defines where change occurs too quickly for the body to be able to compensate adequately. Mm-hmm. And so any type of change that quickly is not good. But then when what you're talking about, I think, with the vaccines, it's it's not it's not a beneficial thing anyway. You're you don't know what the person has unique about their physiology, and so no. you know there could be a sensitivity, there could be a, an allergy, there could be other types of things, and this is all outside of just the detrimental aspects of the vaccination. Well, and, and Dr. Batar, I mean, it could be the the most massive muscular guy that did everything in 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 uh, you know camp to get ready for it. And yet that's the guy that passes out, not because he's a wimp, but they don't they have no idea of the physiological pathways of, you know, that that are, uh, you know, beyond the norm. Those that are below. They don't know. And that's why vaccination is a patently unscientific method of, you know, prevention of any disease, because there's there's no common sense of being applied here that you would want to go. Do we do the same thing in medicine for any other thing for everybody? Dose the same, schedule the same. No, it's absurd. Yet they do that to our soldiers, much less our children, if you let them. You're exactly right, Robert. And what's interesting is I just spent uh, four days with uh, my source of inspiration and who I've considered as a mentor to help me understand what I was doing and why I was getting the type of clinical results I was getting, and that's Bruce Lipton. And I haven't had a chance to talk with you, but my goodness, the, the parallels in our lives and even the way... You know, his lecture, some of the, our thought process on theology and just everything, it was, it was amazing. I mean, we had an amazing, amazing connection. And one of the things that um, Bruce and I were talking about yesterday, we, we talked for a couple of hours, it was actually something that was really profound. And he, he has a way of saying things, and it just, it's that chaos, it looks chaotic. And then as soon as he says it, that chaotic picture becomes perfectly coherent, because it, it's, just, it's like one of those pictures, you know, that you see the dots, and you really can't see what the picture is and you cross your eyes and you can see yes other sets of dots and there's a picture it's like that's what bruce does for me he, he mm-hmm. awakens aspects and one of the things he said that was very profound was that these things that we talk about side effects which we're referring to as side effects 
they are not side effects. They are direct effects. We call them side effects because they're undesired, but they are a direct effect of whatever we're doing, whether it's pharmaceutical, the vaccine, whatever. He was talking about uh, in the aspect of uh, uh, chemotherapeutic drugs. Right. But it's absolutely by the, by the way, type of pharmaceutical. Bruce got that from me, by the way. Oh, well, thank I'm, you. Just, I'm just kidding. I don't I think, you know, we, I knew him back in the 90s. I met him through my mentor back in Atlanta. And we, you know, before he was widely known, he had just published the manuscript, The Biology of Belief. We got I still I might have one of those original copies as well. But the guy, you know, going into the egghead science that he does as a Ph.D. And the way he would relate the biology of belief with, with proofs within modern medicine and all of that. You're like, how did he do that? And so I may, for all I know, have picked up on that in the 90s from him. That's just a joke because he was saying things where you're like, dude, that makes so, you know, he could see right through it, cut right through it. Robert, I'm actually cutting out, so I didn't hear the last part because I'm driving. I don't know whether that's what it is. But if you're talking about, uh, you're still talking about Bruce, the thing is that I did say hi to him from you. He knew exactly. He remembered you. And relayed back to say hi to you. So, oh, that's very uh, kind. Like you said, a loving man. You just want to give a big hug to uh, because of all the work that he's done and the obstacles he's overcome as well with being so, uh, I, I don't know, revolutionary, whatever you'd like to call it. But if, if you get a chance to see a guy, he's amazing. Absolutely amazing. I want to talk more about the experience with him, but I also have to acknowledge the story I really want to open with with you now and uh, we don't have a lot of time left but the whole focus on autism don't don't pay any attention to mercury don't pay any attention to vaccines the story now is zinc maybe it's zinc i'm thinking oh they're talking about zinc okay that's interesting there's a, a mineral zinc but only in relation to the formation of neurons in the developing baby or child and then they go, it's genetic, it's genetic. Oh, yeah, with zinc plays a role. But, hey, if you give too much, that could upset copper. And on. So they acknowledge the role of minerals, of metals, on manifestation of, of, of a physicality. Yet as they acknowledge this, they say, well, this isn't us saying to take a supplement or not. It's just we want to acknowledge that there's a genetic cause still. It's just so bizarre that they can't let go of genes as causation as opposed to understanding how what we do, what we believe, what we feed into a system creates manifestation. Well, exactly. And it's actually the environmental trigger that causes the gene to express that way. We know that there's hundreds of thousands of proteins, but there's only 20,000 genes. So if the gene dictates a protein, then the entire gene theory falls apart because it's not possible. It's the environmental trigger, the signal that causes the gene to express in a certain way that then allows it to make a different protein depending on the environmental trigger. Same gene, but expressing different proteins depending on that environmental trigger. And this is a, and this is a principle that was the enlightening moment for me 16, 17 years ago when our mutual friend, Alden Butcher, mm-hmm. handed me, I think it was a bootleg copy of, of uh, Dr. Lipton's work. And, mm-hmm. um, and that, was, that was the epiphany for me at that point because I then realized, I started laughing, I, I realized why I was getting the clinical results I was getting because it's the genetic in, in the trigger. And so mm-hmm. what you're talking about is exactly that point. It's that environmental aspect that we have to be conscious of and cognizant of. If we're not, we're ignoring the entire uh, process right, of how right. the ultimate engineer created us. 
Well, and another aspect or an assault on our environment, organophosphate pollutants, these pesticides. You know, you know, my mentor said, go organic all those years ago. And I did. You know my, my strictness with, with, with what I eat because I was ill. I don't want to go back there and understand the relationship. Now, I don't want to be, uh, you know, uh, so uh, obsessed that it harms me emotionally. I'm pretty, you know, light and happy about it. But I'm not happy about the fact that still people are thinking pesticides are safe. And there's a uh, new article and study that said even low-level exposure over time of these organophosphate pesticides is impacting neurological development in these little babies and children. And I apologize, Dr. Batar, we've gone long in this opening segment. I'll have you comment on that on the break. And when we come back, go to robertscottbell.com. You can also go to advancedmedicine.com. There's a way to connect with the IDFW to get you out of the public domain so you can learn things we can't even say on the radio. We got that and also uh, medical procedures that you might not want to have your children go through. We'll talk about that as well. We'll be right back. sense out of medical propaganda. Here's Robert. All right, Dr. Batar on Veterans Day. We're talking about organophosphate pesticides as we got to the break. I didn't get a chance to let you get in your uh, your wisdom on this issue because it was talking about low-level exposure over time, not acute exposure in this sense, impacting the brain development of, of babies and children, which is not a surprise to us. But again, another reason why if you're not cleaning up what goes into your body, uh, it's not an accident that things happen. Yeah, that's a, that's a true statement, Robert. It, it, the body is such an intelligent system that we forget the innate ability to heal itself it has been programmed. In fact, our slogan, you know, the, the power to heal is yours. It's more than just a slogan. It is actually how the body is programmed. And one of the things that came up, the difference, you know, between what the difference between a computer chip and a computer and us is? Oh, consciousness. Well, yes, but the design, the way that the thing works is we are a carbon based chip and computer chips are a silicon based chip. Yeah. Right? So yes. this aspect of consciousness, obviously, that's a differentiating factor. But the point is that how it, the mechanical aspect of it is very similar. So we are, we are a system that's designed to self-regulate and to heal. And that's the bottom line. Yeah. So we know that it's possible to heal in even the most uh, inconvenient circumstances. But I think we are asked to do certain things. Now, a lot of us got sick in ignorance, some in arrogance. And, you know, as they say, it's not an excuse. It's just, oh, you're describing how you got there. Now, what happens when you know? Can you still live the same way that you lived and expect a different result now that you know? Well, now that I know organophosphate pesticides are bad for me, that's all I needed to do. I know that. And you continue to eat (laughs) things with organophosphate. No, I think we're asked to do some kind of self-intervention to say, you know what, now that I know this is happening and it isn't good for me, I love myself enough, I love my family enough that we're going to do better. We're going to reduce that exposure. Granted, we can't do everything. There's a lot we don't have control over. So I'm not saying, oh, just give up. It's all too hard. No, I made changes in a world that has not gotten cleaner. It's gotten, if anything, more toxic in some ways. And yet I've achieved healing in my own life that shouldn't have been possible based on what doctors told me. So the message of empowerment is one that, you know, you and I share. We try to inspire other people to do. 
Well, absolutely. So the, the becoming conscious of the problem, the awareness, as you put it, that's half the battle. As soon as you know that, that's half the battle because now you at least know the information. And that's an old adage anyway, right? People say mm-hmm. knowing what the problem is is half the battle. But then as you're talking about taking action, knowledge without action, without taking the step that's necessary to enact upon it, that's a different situation. And so you have to take, you have to take action. Well, and the steps you take, of course, can be very difficult at first. And I remember always what you said. And, of course, in the nine steps to keep the doctor away, your national best-selling book, we talk about once difficult, now easy. You know, the hardest steps are those first few steps. And you pattern, you develop new patterns, however long it takes. Some people say it's three weeks. Some people say eight weeks. Whatever it takes. But that consistency, like my lifestyle, is very natural to me. And people look at me as like, how do you live that way? Well, I've been doing it for a long time. It's, it's even easy. But it wasn't at first. You had to make different steps. You would normally go this way and now like, wait, I have to think. No, that way is not the good way. That's harmful. i got to now take a different step. You create new paths. Exactly. And so when we talked about becoming aware, the first thing, then taking action, that's the next thing. And the, the types of action you take, the first part of the action step is to change the belief system. And if you change the belief system and you understand the information and you adjust that belief system, now you can take the necessary next uh, actions that are that are in the right sequence to do what's necessary. In other words, what I'm saying is uh, becoming aware of the issues, one, and then taking action, choosing to take the action. And once you make that choice, you can take the action. The first step in those action steps is changing your belief system and then proceeding forward with whatever else is necessary. Not taking action, might as well not even have the knowledge because you're not utilizing it. Well, that's where they say ignorance is bliss, of course, until cancer appears. And then how blissful is it? And this is where Joel Salatin says, you know, if you don't want to eat organic, have you priced cancer lately? You know, these concepts of what do you value, right? Oh, it's too difficult now. Well, what do you think it's going to be like if you have that diagnosis and you're stuck because you only have coverage, right? You've got great insurance and it'll only pay for toxic poisons that are just as likely to kill you rather than help you. Well, look at the belief system right there, Robert. You said, well, I don't have to worry about it because I've got insurance. Right there, that message right there that you're giving to your own body, that consciousness that you have, oh, well, I'll, I've got insurance, I'm okay. It's already a disempowering thought. You're already relying on a system that's already failed. So that's why I said the belief system must be adjusted. That's the first part of the action step. Beautifully said. Dr. Batar is here with us on Veterans Day. And uh, salute to all our veterans out there. And uh, we want to get them well. And anybody that one day wants to become a veteran, you know, I can't endorse it until they stop with their mass vaccination experimentation on our troops before they even go into battle. Folks, we've got a lot more healing to go. Stick with us. The Robert Scott Bell Show. In all my years of radio, I've never seen anything like this. The Robert Scott Bell Show. Rocking the health world through the power of radio. It's the Robert Scott Bell Show. It is advanced medicine. We do this each and every week with Dr. Rasha Bittar. Special hour. Uh, you can go to advancedmedicine.com. Archives there, as well as, of course, robertscottbell.com. Linking up to iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, SoundCloud, UK Health Radio rebroadcasts and archives, as well as YouTube, while we still can. And some of our segments end up on brighteon.com. Mike Adams, a health ranger. Uh, makes it available so that in just in case we all get censored by YouTube, we'll have another way that will keep the information flowing. Now, it is Veterans Day. We want to acknowledge all the veterans out there. Again, I talk about it in terms of constitutionality, how we can make this thing work where we're not in unconstitutional incursions 
under blue helmeted, uh, uh, you know, uh, guidance, if you will, the United Nations, they shouldn't be directing our troops, but that's another story for another day. Right now, Dr. Batar is back, more advanced medicine. I want to talk about the weighty issue of obesity, or maybe not even morbid obesity, Dr. Batar, because you and I, we've discussed this. We said being overweight in and of itself is not a disease. Now, obviously, we're not talking morbid obesity. That's a definition of its own right. But there's an article here about fat-clogged cells explaining why obesity can cause cancer. But no mention of what's in the obese person's fat cells, that being persistent organic pollutants, heavy metals, toxins, etc., only that they're claiming that the fat cells being so big and fat will block the function of certain immune cells like NK cells intervening in cancer. I don't know if you've heard anything about this, but I just think they always miss the mark when they go here. I agree with you, Robert. Um, first, I have not heard much about this. And is my sound coming in okay? Because I'm live broadcasting. On yeah, you sound great. You sound great. Okay, perfect. Um, so in response to what you just said, I completely 100% agree with you. This is an issue that we have that they're not talking about the persistent organic pollutants. When a person is obese and they have more fat in their systems, that fat is actually um, harboring and holding on to many of these persistent organic pollutants and, and other types of toxins. And so that's probably the biggest, as far as I'm concerned, it's probably the biggest contributor. I don't know about the blocking of natural killer cells I'm not familiar with that. So maybe that's new research, and maybe it's not. I'm just not familiar with that. But certainly mm-hmm. from my perspective, with the toxicity perspective, uh, if you're not addressing the amount of toxic load and the, and the proportionately higher level of uh, toxins that are held by adipose tissue, you are not, you're not addressing the issue at its core. Yeah, so in this case, it is new. I haven't heard about this, and maybe there's some truth to it, that they're say, saying a compound that can block the fat uptake by natural killer cells might help. Of course, they're meaning, let's develop a drug based on pathways they determine, which, of course, negates the whole basis for why we say being overweight may be dangerous because the fat cells themselves are containing things that are not really helpful to the body, maybe harmful to the body, but it may be a defense mechanism in certain body types that lend themselves not to being lean but more overweight. It's a defense mechanism to protect the vital organs from these harmful substances. Now, if you force weight loss, you know, through caloric restriction, which can be good, fasting can be good, I always say we need to support your pathways of elimination, make sure you're hydrating adequately, because the things in the fat cells that the body was trying to hide and tuck away are now going to be coming out. And we got to protect those cells that we're trying to not be exposed to it, like liver, kidney. Let's, let's facilitate that pathward, path outward safely, if you know what I mean. I absolutely agree with you, Robert. Absolutely. So anyway, there's the fat story on cancer. Now, what about coronary artery disease, coronary uh, CVD? Uh, they, call, they call it uh, vascular disease, heart disease. There's another story here about coronary cal- calcium being a better contributor, or let me say a better predictor of CVD, heart, heart events, heart attacks and such. Now, this is not controversial to us necessarily, but maybe you can explain a little bit more Again, their whole focus on cholesterol, it is totally misplaced. Cholesterol is a protective mechanism and all the other things it does. But why is uh, coronary calcium being uh, a better predictor in terms of tests if you're going for a test like that? 
Well, coronary calcium level scores, this is where they start doing uh, the, uh, the various... Um, uh, there's basically screening tests that they do for, for heart disease, and the coronary calcium score is a more accurate predictor because it's looking at the amount of deposition of calcium within the, uh, within the atheroma, within the uh, endometrial uh, portion of the, of the vascular tree. And what they're looking at, specifically calcium, is the, think of it as the framework, if you will, the, the, the part that holds the infrastructure together of the atheroma, of the, of the, plot, of the clock. Mm-hmm. So essentially the process is, is inflammation, uh, there's an inflammatory cascade, and um, there's various types of histaminic type responses, oxidative injury from the lipid peroxidation, from the heavy metals, whatever the case is that's causing the, the damage initially. That damage, once it, once it begins, then elicits a cascade where the body is trying to uh, protect it, heal itself. And what ends up happening there is that there's a deposition of fibrin and fibrinogen over this calcium matrix that acts as an infrastructure to hold the integrity of the clot together, and then you have the cholesterol that then gets deposited. So the, the infrastructure is actually all based on calcium. So, so basically the issue right now that we're dealing with is that you have to, uh, basically the, the calcium score is establishing the level of calcium within a certain part of the heart, which then indicates indirectly or directly, I don't know the, the, the physics of it, but basically they can measure this calcium score that is indicative of the amount of deposition of calcium within the arterial wall, which is uh, measuring the amount of this matrix, if you will, where the mm-hmm. cholesterol and fiber and fibrogen and all that stuff gets deposited. So it's an indirect calculation because there, there's an inference between the level of calcium and the level of clot. Well, you know, the actual occlusion, uh, actual occlusion, right? Potential there. And, yes. y- you know, if they test cholesterol, which we've said is a red herring, it's just a, it's a, it's a test that puts you on a drug that damages your liver and a whole, whole lot of problems that happen from that. But just because you have high cholesterol circulating has not necessarily a direct relationship with whether it's actually patching and repairing anything because if you've got no inflammation, no heavy metal damage and, you know, other things... Cholesterol never just sticks because it's sticky. There has to be some level of injury or inflammation within the arterial wall for it to go, oh, that's where we go now. Let's start the healing process, which is completely without pretty much asymptomatic for most people. So that is not determined or detected until sometimes decades later, years later at least. And at that point, then you've got the calcification occurring because there has not been a correction of the underlying cause of the inflammation that started the cascade in the first place. Exactly. So calcification in the wrong part of the body, they're pathognomonic. In other words, they're indicative of disease. Calcification in, in the, or calcium in the right part of the body, in the sarcoplasmic reticulum, for example, in the bone, in the teeth, that's where we want calcium. But if calcium goes into the wrong areas of the body, like into the arterial walls, like into the lung tissue, like into the tendons and, and in, as, um, uh, in, in the ligaments, It'll cause tenosynovitis, or it'll cause, it'll cause all granule tumor disease in the lungs, or it'll cause atheroma formation and atherosclerosis in the, in the vascular tree. So we want calcium in the right places. We, want calcium, we don't want calcium in, in other places. So calcium should be in the sarcoplasmic reticulum to allow for muscle contracture, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So abnormal calcium metabolism is pathognomonic for chronic disease, including cancer.
Yeah, well, and we've seen calcium deposits, for instance, calcification on like bone spurs, right, on the heel or other things. There's abnormally uh, uh, laid down calcium in places where there's chronic inflammation. Now, there, there could be other mineral imbalances we would acknowledge, but anything that throws the metabol metabolism off, it could be heavy metals in the body, any number of things, chronic low-level dehydration, other things throwing balance to imbalance. The body will try to correct it, and oftentimes calcium is a mineral, as a macro mineral that is used and borrowed or stolen from, for instance, bone tissue and then laid down elsewhere. You're absolutely right, Robert. That I completely agree with that, and, and this is a problem that's quite abundant in our society, and then, of course, with the types of uh, calcium supplementation and the type, we, we throw off, um, based upon our dietary intake, we throw off many of these metabolic processes that then further exacerbate some of these issues that you're talking about. Yeah, and of course, then we ignore certain connective tissue minerals like silicon. You mentioned the silicon chip, right? That concept. We still, the brain, the nervous system, the connective tissue relies on uh, the silicon, including vascular in integrity, elasticity, and strength. And so it's a, it's a more of a trace mineral than, I, I think, calcium more of as a macro mineral that it's very easy to come by versus the trace elements that have been ripped out of the soil or ripped out of food products because they're basically more valuable in industry than they are to sell to us in food or in appropriate supplementation. Absolutely. I absolutely agree with that, too. So it's a fascinating journey, folks. If you understand what we're talking about, and we try to make it as simple as possible, that's what advanced medicine is. It isn't about talking over your heads. It's about planting seeds of understanding for things that many of the eggheads in medicine perhaps should know but don't know or didn't bother to read or don't profit from, right? It, it, you know, it, it's not, how do they say, it's very hard for a man to see that which would result in a loss of, for instance, economic viability, right? So everything becomes a drug deficiency. Cardiovascular disease becomes, hey, this is an evidence of you need a cholesterol-lowering medication, and of course you need an open-heart bypass surgery, rather than intravenous chelation, which in the mid-20th century, early mid I can't speak now, 20th century, would have prevented the need, perceived or real, of the vast majority, perhaps all of the bypass surgeries that became very profitable and still are. Yeah, and, and I think that there's no such thing as a panacea. We know that, and, you know, Robert, you and I both agree on that. Uh, and it's not, we're not saying that it would have helped every person, like 100%, but the national statistics are about 86% of the people that end up having chelation are benefited and in our clinic, it was about 93, 94%. Why the difference? Because we were more selective in the criteria that before we would treat a patient. In other words, a lot of doctors, they don't care whether the patient smokes or what their lifestyle habits are. If a patient smokes, I won't even treat them. So we were a little bit more selective in the patients that we were treating. So that's why our success rate was also higher, because if certain mm -hmm. lifestyle components weren't in there, we wouldn't allow them to do the certain treatments because we knew that the chances of working were less. And you know, God forbid something adverse were to happen, then they would blame it on the therapy as opposed to the lifestyle choice of the patient. So based right. upon that, we were more selective. But there are other things besides that as well. I mean, there's proper nutrition we're talking about, and it's the lifestyle choices, exercise, etc. Yep. Stop the inflow of things that cause chronic inflammation. You know, it's one thing when you have an injury like I had to recover from an acute injury. It's the problem with the chronic exposure to things that constantly put, as Bruce Lipton talks about, your cells into a state of fight or flight rather than growth and healing. Back with more after this. 
The revolution will be broadcast. The Robert Scott Bell Show. All right, Advanced Medicine's wrapping up today with Dr. Rashid Batar. He's out in L.A. Uh, once again, acknowledging Veterans Day. Um, we would ask each of you to go deeper into the Constitution, understand the, the proper role of our country's immune system, the military, that it would be used uh, appropriately for defense, obviously, and that if we ever have to go to war, that it would be declared in the people's house appropriately as it as it was designed to do that we wouldn't have all three branches of government in one branch creating a foreign policy that that might be not in the best interest of the people right we the people and dr patar i don't know if you want to add any insight to that before we do our final medical advanced medicine topic uh thank you for that opportunity robert i would just like to again mention that um we appreciate as veterans uh veterans day but don't forget for all the people out there it's also about the active duty soldiers that are still out there. And not. I would like to send out the message to all soldiers, regardless of which country they serve or which country they are stationed in, that we send that, we send that intention of appreciation and gratitude to all the soldiers and, and send them unconditional love, recognizing that they're in a situation where they may just be pawns, but hopefully that there's enlightenment for the politicians and for the soldiers to realize that we are designed by the creator to be coming together and not to be separated. We, you know, if anybody mm-hmm. doubts that and says, no, we can't do that, then look at your own human body. This is something that Bruce talked about, Dr. Lipton talked about this weekend, this week that I spent with him. You know, look at your own body, 50 trillion cells that are working, working in cooperation and in synergy. Um, that is the ultimate expression of how we were really designed. And humans are, as, as below, mm-hmm. so above. Humans are no different than the cells that make us up, right? And <laughs> yes. we should be communicating together. So that's the message that I'd want to remind everybody. Yeah, and that, that's why when we focus on individual health, it's so fundamental to everything that I do because I realized when I was discordant, my body was not in good health. It was hard for me to help anybody, least of all myself. You know, so those of you who have good intentions, you really want to see, you know, peaceful, loving communities. It's like if you if you've got yourselves doing battle with one another or with you because you don't know how to treat them with love, kindness and respect, then how do you expect out here in the big world? I've often said, you know, uh, why do we have so many wars? Well, how many people are getting along with their own bodies and then move out from there? Right. They're not listening to the cells communicating. And if they are listening, they don't know the language. So it's, it's like the Tower of Babel in your own body. How do we get beyond that? We do the things we do here with Advanced Medicine, the Robert Scott Bell Show, and, and bring those cells back into line, or we need to get in alignment with them. And then we build or expand out from there. I completely agree, Robert. We, we need to make sure that we remember this message and we help others to become aware of it. Because, again, as we said earlier on the show, becoming aware is half the battle. And then you right. start taking the action steps, which are involved the belief process, shifting that and becoming aware. And finally, when your tonsils are inflamed, don't shoot it out or disconnect them or have them removed necessarily. This study out of the United Kingdom says seven out of every eight kids who are getting this tonsillectomy don't even need it. It doesn't help them. But the idea is that the tonsil, part of the lymphoid immune tissue, is giving you a signal that, hey, you're doing it wrong. 
Look at what you're feeding the kid, all of these things. Let's restore immunity. Let's restore lymphatic movement. And then watch the tonsils go from inflammation to normal alert status. Yep. The, the, the tonsils act as a reservoir of, uh, to help the body know and recognize you know, what is supposed to be um, fought naturally. Uh, it's, it's actually like a, like a knowledge base for the immune system. So by removing it, we're doing great disservice to the individuals that are having the tonsils removed. And I'm glad that the studies actually come out and said 7 out of 8, because at least, if they follow those statistics, then at least 7 out of 8 people will be protected, and that only one person will be damaged for every 8 that are being damaged right now. So that would be a good thing if people became aware of that. Well, and the irony in the article, it's saying, well, those eighth people or those eighth kids, are, we're, not, we're not getting enough of them. I'm like, I, you know, unless your you, necrotizing fasciitis is affecting your tonsils, I don't know the reason to pull your tonsils out, except that you have no earthly idea what they're for, nor how to remedy the situation without removing them. Yeah, you're exactly right. Necrotizing fasciitis, yes, that's a surgical emergency. You've got 24 to 48 hours and the person's going to be dead. Other than that, I, I would agree with you. And, and I'm not even sure... Taking the tonsils out in a situation like that, anyway, that would that wouldn't be the first thing that you do. You'd want to debride the area where the next has right. So really, there's no place for it. Exactly, and of course, then spray it down with silver to neutralize it, help to heal it with the silica and all the minerals we talk about here. Doctor Batar, we're out of time. What an amazing Veterans Day edition of Advanced Medicine right here on the Robert Scott Bell Show. Can't wait to see all the video stuff you're doing, and as it becomes released through the IDFW, go to advancedmedicine.com. If you're not already a member. The code for the Robert Scott Bell Show listeners, 1358. All right, Dr. Bittar, let them know what they need to know because it's time to go. Power to heal, my friends. Unequivocally, yours. Amen, my friends. The Robert Scott the Bell Robert Show. Robert Scott Bell Show.